day, everybody. I'm Steve Chase. You're listening to River Streams today, and I'm here with a friend, Andrew Lay. Hi, everybody. Say hey, yeah, Andrew. <laughs> and uh, thanks for joining us today, and we're going to be uh, finishing this intro song out. We'll be back. We're going to have a chat. We're going to listen to a very, very great story about Andrew's uh, a life. He's from Vietnam, and... Um, He's been in the country five years now, something like that? Yeah, five years. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. All right. Thanks for joining us. Amazing grace How sweet The sound that saved a wretch like me. Thanks for joining me today here on WLPV 97.3 FM in the Upper Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts on our stream and on Facebook Live. I'm joined today with Andrew Lay, and he's from Vietnam, but he's also a student here in Northfield, Mass., 
up at the St. Thomas Aquinas College, right? Yes, sir. And you're a sophomore this year? Is yes, that, sir. Is that it? Now, just a quick little backstory. Andrew and I met last summer, wasn't it? Yeah, just this past summer. Just yeah. not even quite a year ago. Yeah. And um, kind of the backstory is I, I do a prayer drive a couple of times uh, a day. And just, to, you know, usually before I come over here, and just a time of going out in prayer. One of my usual paths, I get in my car and take the drive, mm-hmm. was I'd go up to Northfield. Mm-hmm. And I would go down through the old D.L. Moody campus there yeah. in Northfield, which is now the Thomas Aquinas College. Yep. And I would, as I would go down through there, I would be praying for the students. I thought, God, you brought all these people here. Let me just go and pray for these students <laughs> that they would really have an encounter with you and, yeah. you know, grow in their in their faith and that you would bless them. And and then um, it was during COVID, so um, the security up there kept noticing me go through there. So it was a blizzard one night and. And, and there was a security guy who says, stop, what are you doing? Why are you coming through? You're going through the campus twice a day. You know, what are you doing it for? And I said, well, I couldn't really explain it to him. So at that point, I stopped doing it. But one of the things I prayed was that God would give me a connection with one of the students there, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so then summer came, and I occasionally would go over to the, is it called, it's called Little Round Top, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, um and just meditate, because the campus there is really, it's really something. I mean, because of what happened there in the 1800s, mm-hmm. there's still kind of a residual presence in that geography, oh, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I would go up there just to contemplate up at the the, the burial spot of D.L. Moody and his wife, and um, so there was Andrew, and right <laughs> yes, one sir. time, and I was, uh, I think we just, I, there was another fellow there. Uh, an older fellow that was there because of somebody that had passed away in some funeral or something. Right. So I was talking to him. Then we started talking to the students. That was the first time. Yep. Then I came back again, maybe a number of weeks later, and Andrew was there again. And we started chatting. Then we ch- ch- traded phone numbers, right? Yep. Yep. And then we struck up a friendship. Mm-hmm. So Andrew's 19 years old um, from um, Vietnam. And um, I wanted him to tell a bit of his story. Then we're going to talk maybe a bit about the college. And then maybe you want to uh, teach us a little bit of Aristotle and Aquinas oh, or something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I love that when we had a meal together with Timmy Adams, and uh, he was the guy that got came to Christ in the jail. Right, right. Because yeah. we have an annual dinner, and Andrew was invited this year, <laughs> right? Yep. Up to Deacon John and, uh-huh. and his wife's house. It gave us a great spread, beautiful home up there. And uh, so uh, Timmy taught uh, Andrew the difference between heroin and cocaine, crack. <laughs> and and you taught them some Aristotle about what the good is. Yeah, right? the First, Aristotelian it, four causes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which that we might talk about that a little bit today. <laughs> you don't know, you know. So, uh, anyways, Andrew, why don't you um, kind of pick up because people love to hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard your story, I, you know, and then I thought, wow, this is really something. So you're from Vietnam, yeah. and both of your grandfathers were in the Arvin, yep. which is the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, right? which fought with the Americans yep. during the Vietnamese War. Yep. And then after the communists took over, 
something happened to your grandparents. Why don't you start from there and talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I guess if we go all the way back, so like in the seventies, right? Um, yeah. Both sides of my family were Southerners. So we're both in the South and uh, more technically around the Southern uh, coastal areas. And so on my father's side, my grandfather, he's a colonel. So he served in the, he served in the military. Um, it was really difficult, but he was a colonel and he did well his duties. Mm-hmm. On my mother's side, my grandfather, he was also in the military, but he was also gearing up for himself to run the, uh, the next election for, um, um, I couldn't remember the exact official title, but it was for a politician um, position in, uh, within the province. That he was running for himself. Yeah, that he was running for himself. Um, and so obviously, so they were, they were, they were kind of in the higher echelons of a colonel is not a, you know, oh, that's yeah. just before a general. So that's right. higher echelon. And then your other grandfather's running as a, as a politician. Right. So, and, and the lay family is actually a, a, from a royal line in yeah. Vietnam. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, no, we were, um, so before the war, our families were, you know, we, we were, we were well off to say. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, financial troubles that we would run into, but so the war came, and then um, nineteen seventy five happened. Uh, the communists, with the help of the Chinese and the Russians, they they conquered the South, and so that's when the tragedy happens. So um, both my grandfathers were taken into uh, internment camps. So they took them in there, spent a couple of years. I think it's about um, five or six years. They were. Um, they weren't the top, top officials, so they didn't have to spend the rest of their life in there, but still five or six years. So in the meantime, uh, both sides of my family were struggling to make ends meet because one of the things the communists they would do, they come in, is that they'd take away the lands, uh, take away the lands, the properties, any kinds of stuff they may have, and especially books. You know, Every single person were, back then when the war first ended, everyone was given a certain ration of rice, yeah. of potatoes, yes. of beans um meat was Rare. a luxury they, it doesn't come around yeah you know, once a year maybe yeah so things rapidly changed I, mean, I don't know if i told you this but my grandfather on my mother's side the politician one he, he was an intellectual at the time right so he had thousands of books when the communists first came in they we had to bury those books because they were about to burn them right so about so now flash words now we have about 50, 60 of his books left because all the rest have been found out and burned. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you experienced that or they experienced that Mm -hmm. and the um, six years, five or six years really broke those men, didn't it? Right. Yeah. They, they were, they were never the same men afterwards. So that's the kind of family background that came up from Um, my, both sides of my family, very staunch anti-communists, but because of the nature of the, political uh, the politics there we couldn't really vocalize about right. it um now how did your now you're the only child yes, right, of your yes, mother and father yes but your mother and your father decided that the only way that they could function is your mother went to law school didn't she yes what happened yes. I, I don't i'm just kind of interjecting there but yeah you know <laughs> just leading your because i know your story but why don't you you know go ahead and continue from there so your mom decided that in order for her to be able to provide and function she became in that system which was a communistic system at that time Mm -hmm. yeah so obviously my grandfathers they both came back from uh from the camps they were not the same um they just really couldn't function on daily life that's how much it broke them 
And so the job of uh, raising the family and like taking care of all the siblings and the family as yeah. a whole then fell to my father and my mother respectively. Now both of them, um, they were childhood friends. They would they actually would live just about a couple hundred feet from each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was and then the eighties and early nineties hit, wherein it was starvation. It was wow. starvation. There was it. It was. There was no jobs to be found in that area. It was starving. There was no food. The rations are not even coming in. So my parents decided that the best way possible is to disperse the family. And we're going to find jobs and ways to figure out a a living. You're in survival mode. Yeah, survival mode. So they dispersed. My parents just happened to go into the same city. So my dad started taking up. um, Even though they knew one another. They ended up in the same spot. yeah. So they and just absolutely out of nowhere. So my uh, father start taking my father and my mother start taking up sewing. My father also did a lot of tutoring. They were doing four to five jobs a day right. to keep themselves four to five. I talked to them last. Yeah, four to five um, to try to keep themselves afloat and raise a family. And then they met one another. And yeah, so then they then they decided that they knew one another, but now they were in love. So oh yeah. Then they got married. Oh yeah. So. Um, so that's how it all comes to be. But then it was very clear from early on that my parents had an idea of, okay, the responsible the responsibility of the family now rests upon me. Yeah. And the only way that I can get a better life is so that I can get out of this situation, figure out something else elsewhere, and then bring my family over. And that's what they did. So over time, throughout the 90s, um, they finished college together, and then they start getting more money. Um, and so we start u- reuniting our families. We start bringing in um, my mother's siblings from uh, the coastal areas, from the highlands, from the downtown. From the south. rural areas where they'd been scattered yep. back to Saigon. Yep. It, yeah. it was it was like bringing Jerusalem back together. Which is called what together. now? Uh, Saigon is now, now is that Ho Chi, what is it? Yeah. Saigon? Ho Chi Minh City? Ho Chi Minh City, yeah, yeah. since 76. So, yeah, so they start bringing uh, my family members together piece by piece together again, which is great. Um, and so, yeah, so that's the kind of family I have. We're very luckily. So that your mother got a law degree. Yeah, my mother got a law She's a lawyer now in, in Saigon. Yeah. Which what kind of law does she practice? She used to practice criminal justice. Okay. Um, but I think about in the last five years or so, she quit and uh, more focuses on civil matters now. Okay, yeah. yeah. A little less intense. Yes. But still yes. remunerative, you know, still <laughs> to make some money doing that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Now, so you are, you know, born into that situation as a young child, so yes. you don't really know that much. You, no. you learn it from the history, from the oral history of your family telling yeah. you what happened. Yeah. And so you were born when? Uh, I was born in 2003. 2003. Yeah. So you're you're 19 or have you had a birthday yet? 19. 19. Uh, when is your birthday, by the uh, way? July 14th. So July 14th. Months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then you'll be the great twenty years old. Yeah, only one more away. <laughs> yeah, and then the then the the real uh, uh, benchmark of twenty one, right? The next year. Um, so you grow up in that environment. So it kind of picks up from there, especially when um, something really supernatural began to happen to you about the English language. Yeah. So um, so you know we. I was born and I was only a child, and there, there, there was at first there wasn't not a lot of you know special things going on, right? It's just a normal kid, but then, um, yeah, grown up. So my family's uh, my family's all Catholic, so I was baptized, but we didn't really practice the faith very much. Um, we really 
we were very really lax about it. We go to church maybe once a month or so, but we'll get to later, a little later well, on that. Let me let me ask you a question then about Catholicism or Christianity mm-hmm. in the communist regime of Vietnam. Yeah, was it was there still some suppression of oh, that? Oh, absolutely. So maybe that had to play with the fact of why you weren't so active or practice maybe with your parents. Maybe so, but uh, kind of muted, you know, uh, chilled that you don't want to be too aggressive about Christianity. Sure. Yeah, so... Um, so you're growing up there in that environment, and then when you get up to around 10, 11 years old, something begins to happen. Yeah, so it was kind of odd. I remember in elementary school, I think it was about, oh gosh, maybe eight, maybe, and I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I want to go to America one day. And she was just absolutely stunned. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I want to go to America, probably to study. And so that means I probably have to study English. So I really kind of want to study English. And my mom said, okay, first off, you don't even know English. Where did that idea come from? We have none of our... Us and now you're family. at 11, what are you, 11 years old or something? Or 10, this was this was eight. This is even before okay, I take wow, any classes. Okay, all right. And so it's like, well, we because none of my parents spoke English, I told you. Yeah, you lived in, a, in just a completely Vietnamese yeah. era. Why don't you give us a little Vietnamese? Um... Nếu mà đây là tiếng Việt, đây, khi mà tôi đang nói tiếng Việt nó sẽ giống như vậy nè. Nó rất là khác nếu mà nói tiếng Anh. It's very different from English. Yeah, That's absolutely. And so English is not even in your consciousness. Yeah, so... But you're thinking about America. Yeah, and about somehow. English. Okay, somehow. so go ahead. Go ahead. So, um, again, and my mom was like, what is this? Like, they know what America is as a country, but they don't even imagine, like, what is it like? And so, life in America, what are you talking about? And so, yeah, they just don't know what was going on. And to this day, I still don't know how that idea got into my head. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, you really wonder. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Holy Spirit. So yeah. I usually say, yeah, I blame the Holy Spirit on that one. Well, uh, he'll take the blame, I'm sure. Yep. But it's amazing how he plants these seeds of thoughts sometimes in our hearts absolutely. that are more than just a thought going through our mind. It's something that resonates deep with inside of us. Uh, yeah. It becomes yeah. a desire. Yeah. And I wanted to do that. And I was eight years old. I barely knew anything. Right. So I said, okay, I want to go take English class. And I was like, okay, we'll see how far this goes. We'll take English class and then we'll see what happens. And uh, the first couple English classes, Tank. it was bad. Tank, yeah. Yep. It was terrible, terrible. And I remember my, so we would have to go to those English classes after in school. So it's about five, or go in there at five, 5.30 and get out at like seven. My dad always had to pick me up at 7.30 or eight. Because the teachers always say that I'm so, so bad at English that I have to stay over for another hour. <laughs> you, know, Just, yeah. you know how those kids, <laughs> when the punishment, they have to write things like yeah, out yeah. loud yeah, like yeah, 10,000 yeah. times. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. And I just could not spell. I could not spell. I could not speak. I didn't even understand anything. I, I remember, I, I think I told you this. I remember, so this was like by the time I was in third or fourth grade. So I told I told you that at that time, my wish that by 18 years old, I have to be able to spell. Refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah refrigerator and, and triangle. Right. And that was like somehow that was the hardest thing for me ever. Right. So th- th- that's. I like, think that's a hard for a lot of uh, American people to spell refrigerator <laughs> as well. Triangle maybe not too bad, but refrigerator. Refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that was me. You know, third and fourth grade, and then, so obviously there's no hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, something just clicked. 
one day something just clicked and I couldn't tell if it was I start watching TV and the TV starts having English uh, shows on it, but still wouldn't explain too much because something clicked in that all of a sudden somewhere between fourth grade and fifth grade, I suddenly can understand English almost no need for translation supernaturally in a way yeah and then then i could speak i could listen to english i could understand english i could speak english and you might say it's like oh it's probably because my parents sometimes will talk about this like well we did also bought you know like tv channels back then and some of those shows like they would have english so shows so you probably watch them and then copy whatever they say it's like i mean that's true it could help with pronunciation but i start writing and reading english mm. Mm. And that, and Lord knows, I did not read any English books back then. So what happened? Again, this is something that none of us could really explain up till this date. Now. Well, and and just as a fact, you've only been in this country for five years now. Yeah. And uh, a person would not know that English was not your first language. <laughs> you know, really. I mean, because you're very, you know, you enunciate and you're, you got a great vocabulary. So it's really quite... What I thought as I heard your story and you carry on in it was almost like a supernatural thing. Yeah. You know, in the Bible, on the day of Pentecost, yeah. <laughs> they were supernaturally endowed with the ability to speak languages. Right. Not not a you know, a mysterious language, but actual known yeah. dialects that people that were there yeah. from all because it was a feast and people came from mm-hmm. all different regions yeah. could hear them proclaiming the gospel in unknown languages they yep. never learned. Yep. So it's almost like that. That's what, when I first heard your story, I said, that's the closest thing to glossolalia <laughs> that I've ever heard. Right there. Closest to speaking tongues I'll ever be. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, I was just reading and writing English and just fine. And somehow one day that caught the attention of my parents. And I, and I said, yeah, so, and that was just normal to me. I didn't realize something really supernatural or amazing was happening, but my parents noticed something was odd. And so they said, well, this doesn't sound right. Let's, so what they did was they took me to every single prestigious English center around the city and test me, have them test me. And so it's a series of like written. At what age now are you at? This is nine or 10. Okay. Nine or 10. Yeah. So, so this is about somewhere between fourth grade and fifth grade. So I was going around all these different, um, English centers and they were testing me. So a lot of writing, a lot of reading, and I would speak to a bunch of Americans and you know and Britishmen and you just have conversations with them. And all the tests came back with the exact same results saying that, yeah, so your son have the English listening, reading, writing, and speaking skills of a college student. Wow. And that was at between nine and ten. Yeah. Then you got tested again later, didn't you? Yeah, I got tested. So they and so my parents were like, okay, what's going on? And so the people at the English Center are saying, well, you should enroll him in some of the higher classes. Like, uh-huh. okay, higher uh-huh. classes it is. I was around 10 years old, and the people around me were um, all college students, a couple of high schoolers. And I was an, a kid that barely hasn't even finished elementary school. Right. So I got in there, a um, couple of classes. It was going great. And then uh, there, was a, there was a preliminary test. It's called PET. You haven't got to the big one yet. But the PET, so preliminary English test, I took it, flying colors, fifth grade. This is fifth grade. This is not even, I'm still an elementary school kid. So you're at fifth grade level in, in your education, but your English is at what level? College student. College student. Yeah. Okay. So, and then my parents are like, okay, wow, that was unexpected. Um, 
So what else is there? And so there was only one more test that was higher quality than the the PET. It's called the IELTS. And the IELTS, it's it's called the International English Language Test System. Something that people in Cambridge came up. It's basically a English proficiency test for foreigners so that they could have a so that they can have um, go to universities, go to grad schools and have uh, and go to work at English speaking countries. Would so, be interpreters even I mean, yeah. at, at, that, at that level, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is this, the level of English here is for people going to grad schools and to go to work. Right. And so the people at English centers are like, well, there's only one more test system left. And it's like, all right, we'll take you in. And so I was sixth grade then. Um, so sixth grade me took it. Um, studied, I didn't really even study. I mean, I was still a little kid. I was really lazy back then. So I barely even studied for anything. And my parents always get on me. It's like, why aren't you studying for English? And I was like, eh, I just don't want to. And so the day the test came, um, I, it was about seventh grade then. And I took the test. It was on a scale of nine for all of those four skills. Nine. And that's the top. That's the top. The top mark there. Lowest is one. The highest is nine. Yes. I got a seven when I was in seventh grade. Now, to give context, a seven, a 6.5 is sufficient for any grad school student, college student, or working people to go anywhere in the English-speaking world for a job. Yeah. 6.5. That's all it takes. And I got a seven on my first wow. run wow. when I was in seventh grade. Wow. And you know, again, I was in this room. I always found that, that that part of your story to be amazing to me. <laughs> and, I, and I know people are enjoying this because it's like a first God puts the desire. And we're going to say it's God. The Holy Spirit puts the desire in you to go to America. Yep. And then in order to go to America and be, you know, at all functioning, you know, mm-hmm. you could go there with the Viet, as a Vietnamese speaker. But to actually immerse into the culture of America you yeah. have to have be proficient in English and then the next thing you know you're getting this supernatural mm-hmm. endowment it seems to be able to speak English yeah. you know and now at your seventh grade and you're you're testing out at a proficiency level of of people that go into grad school yeah you know? no it's wonderful yeah. so he gave me that bill and again I was this little middle school kid I'm looking around it's all it's all big boys. It's yeah. all adults. Yeah. We're talking here. And I just kind of, I remember this detail. I was the only person that, so all the people, because they're all adults, as soon as they finished the test, they could leave. Yeah. But I was the only one that still needed a parental uh, figure or a guardian. Right. So I had to wait there until my, my mom could come in and say, that's my son. It's like, okay, here you go. Yeah. Like yeah. kindergarten almost. Yeah. It was hilarious. Wow. So now you're you're at you're in seventh grade. So what, like twelve ish or something? Yeah, 11, 12. 12. Yeah. Now then, about thirteen, something happens. You do come to America, right? Yeah. Or is, there, is, there, is that kind of yeah. the next segue to yeah, your story? That's true. So about thirteen. So fresh out of that IELTS test, I got the result back. My family's like rejoicing because oh my gosh, this is wonderful. I was kind of sad because I thought I could have done a little better, but yeah, no. Um, they were they were really excited about it, and then news came that my cousin, who uh, went to America to school about two years ago, went there and is about to graduate from high school. From high school in Texarkana, so yeah. this is a school in Texarkana. Texarkana, Texas. Yeah. So um, as a res- as a reward, my parents like, well, we want to give you a reward, but we also want a test run to see if this America thing is for you, whether if you actually like it. Right. So they say, okay, you want to go to America? I said, yeah. Let's go to America. You'll visit your cousin. 
to go to her graduation for a couple of days, see how it goes. And so I did. And you did that alone. You didn't you, with your parents or do I? You... So I went with my mom, uh, and my aunt, who is the cousin's mother, uh-huh. and, and her little sister. Okay. So a family trip. Yes, but the whole uh, apart from my cousin who was already grad who was graduating. I, they all kind of depended on me for like all the communications. Part. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, "Well, you got Niles. Yeah, let's see wh- whether this is legit which, or which, not. Which, whether it works in real life, right? And yeah. it did. It, it did. It will work wonderfully. Yeah. But yeah, so I went to the high school. It's called Veritas Academy. Uh, went to Veritas Academy. Yeah. So what does Veritas mean? Truth. Truth. Yeah. Yep. In Latin, it means truth. But yeah, yeah so I went there, um, saw the couple of classes, and whatever reason it was just yeah it was such an uh, enchanting um proposition and it's just after that trip i went back to my mom i said mom i have to go to america one way or another i have to get there right you felt destiny oh yeah no i mean that's what this is the this thing i like about your story because (laughs) it's like a divinely deposited destiny came into this little boy in in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, in the Vietnam, saying, yeah. "I want to go to America, yeah. then, but I'm going to need to speak English." So it's like God says, "Okay, we can work that out too." <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like such a supernatural component to this. Yeah. I mean, other than that, maybe you're a savant or something. <laughs> you know, um, you definitely have a good mind, a good brain. You know, very astute. I know that, but I I think there's something more supernatural happening here. Oh, yeah. You know, no, absolutely, there has to be something. But yeah, I was just feeling called and yeah. i didn't again by that time i wasn't serious in my face so i didn't know who was calling or what was calling my nose like yeah something is calling me and i have to be here so i said i came back of metrics and mom whatever it takes i have to be there and so my mom says okay okay we're gonna have to make this work okay because it was a lot you know oh yeah money oh absolutely. how are we gonna get over there get him over there who's he gonna stay with yeah and so trying to figure all that out and then at that time there was this family that i met during that trip so this was 2016, right? Yeah. So um, 2016, eighth grade, 7th uh, grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, I went back to finish my 8th grade and then went to America. But 7th grade. So in your last year of school in Vietnam was in the 8th grade. Yeah, yeah. So. Then they worked it out or somehow God helped them work it out. Yeah. And you came to America at what, 14? Yeah, 14. 14. So when 9th grade, I was 14, um, this time I went, but on my own. Yeah, I didn't have my. I didn't. Have was it an exchange me. student kind of thing? Or no, no, it was it's just you came and stayed with this family that you've met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I came as an international student for the school, and for the family that I was staying with at that time, uh, it was one of the families I met in my trip in twenty sixteen. Okay, yeah, and yeah, and I told them that's like, yeah, we want to go here, and it's like, well, they were a young married couple, very young. They just got married like a couple months at that right, time, right, and they right. said, yeah, no, I mean, so like, now they're taking they're taking on a fourteen year old Vietnamese young man into their yeah into their orbit, right, right, and they said, yeah, no, it's just like having a roommate. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, and so so that was the idea. It's like, okay, I'll go live with them. Everything's all settled down. Um, so yeah, so that's what happened. I went over there for a couple of months, and and you were in school, yes, going, going to school, yep. But then something began to happen to you at that point in time, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the culture shock that hits first yeah. thing, right? And so it's dealing with, okay, I'm a 14-year-old child and I don't You're have away parents. from your parents. You're yep. away from your society and yep. your culture. Yep. And 
would you say depression came upon? Oh yeah, yeah. No, there was. Uh, it was, frankly, there was too many changes at one time. You yeah. Know? So, and you have a young family that doesn't know really how to deal with. Don't really no. can't pick up. Maybe because of the culture differences, they didn't probably didn't notice that you were going yeah, through. Yeah, and well, they were expecting. You know that what they said was a roommate. Right. So they were not really expecting a child. Um, so again, yeah, but too many changes at one time. Um, was just getting to me and yeah i felt really down um it was i was really depressed. a little more than down right yeah i was really depressed and so yeah and so something happened um it was out of my own fault but that was um that was i think the lowest point that happened so i think it was around roughly it's about only a couple months in the first school year right the first semester and one night where the couple were out think they were out having a dinner of some sort and so it was late at night i couldn't sleep so i went to the so i wandered around the house in the room across from my room um it was the guest room no one lives there uh it's just just in case and there was this chest that was in the room so i got curious so now me as a child again this was me before anything that happened so as a child i was my mom would say I was smart. I would argue that was also a little bit mischievous. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that comes with the package as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was little... all that investigation and, you know, this a little, well, foolishness is born in the heart of a child, the yeah. Bible says. So we all have it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a little more on the mischievous side. I mean, you can talk to uh, I mean, me in middle school. Yeah, I was a little mischievous. Let's say that. So, yeah. So well, I... thank God that you're confessing that you were actually a sinner. <laughs> thank god that he thank god he took me out of there yeah yeah so you were you you were going in that room let me go jump back into your story here so there was a check you said yeah there was a chest that's like this oh, chest yeah c-h-e-s-t chest yeah so this okay. is beautiful chest and so i opened and so i opened it up and i saw and it was like this really pretty watch uh-huh. it was a really pretty watch it's dead it's not working anymore the battery's gone but it was really beautiful. And so I took it up and I looked at it. It was like, oh, it was like a toy. To me, it was, in my mind, it was yeah. a toy. And so it was pretty. And I said, okay, I have school tomorrow. I really need to go to bed. And so I went back to my room. But I brought the watch with me and set it on the desk and went to bed. So the next day, I went to school. Everything went fine. Um, did you wear the watch to school? No, or? I did not. Oh, okay. I mean, it was yeah. dead. There was yeah, not, yeah, no use. Yeah. yeah, it was a toy. Yeah. So, um, I got, and then I got back from school. Um, I got back from school, went to youth group then. Um, but yeah, something was really bad was going on was because my mom called me and she was, and she, there was a certain family crisis came up and I just realized like, I can't be with my family. My friends are not here. There's the people that I love, I feel the things alone. that I love, they're not here. And I don't know what to do. And I just felt really down. And then as I was thinking that the couple, uh, the, you know, I opened the door into the house and the couple uh, and I saw a couple and they would look at me very sternly and I was very surprised at what's going on and they told me and the guy pulled out his watch that same watch I, that, I, right. that I took and he said this is unacceptable um, and it goes on he goes on and scolds me for a, a while and at that point I was realizing the kind of danger I was in because in the sense of like whoa if it's like an overreaction to what you actually was going on in your mind because you were just investigating and you shouldn't have been in their stuff. 
Sure. But you found a watch, you took it to your room, but you yes. weren't really steal, you know, per se stealing it. Yeah. You're trying to put it up to take it out and pawn it and get some money or anything. It's yeah, just no, a no, toy. No, no, it's no, like no. a toy in it your mind. It was a toy for a child. child. Yeah. yeah. And so in the and so I was what is going on and then he and then he was really really mad. And at one point I and I realized like if he kicks if it gets if this gets out of hand and he wants to kick me out of the house. That means that there is no legal guardian for me in America. That means that they're going to have to send me back to Vietnam. Yeah. And so, and then at that point, I was on my knees. I was literally on my knees before the couple, and I asked them, I was like, please, please, I'm sorry. I, I, and I asked for their forgiveness. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to do any of that. And they told me this one thing, and I still remember it to this day. Um, they told me that, well, Jesus may forgive you, but we won't. Wow. Wow. That's, that's and a really like, strong thing. This was like a Christian family too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was a 14-year-old at the time. So that affected you pretty heavily. Yeah. And, and took you deeper into depression. Yeah. And so they said, From well, that, yeah. pack up your bags. Uh, you're sleeping here for the night, but you're leaving tomorrow morning. And in my mind, I said, where am I going? Where are, you, where are you going to take me? Right. It's like, if you're kicking me out of the house, where are you going to take me? And in my mind, the only thing... Must have been very frightening for, for a young child, really, still yeah. 14 years old in another culture. Yeah. And so, so what happened? Did they... So the next day, or did just something more happen? Was it that night that you actually had a crisis? Yeah. So this was at night that this is happening, right? And so it's like, well, if I'm getting kicked out tomorrow morning, they're going to kick me back to Vietnam. I can't go home like that. Shame, the shame I would bring. Yeah, I mean to myself, sure. You could say that it's to your justified. family. Oh yeah, but to my family. Well, isn't it that the Asian people that have a, it's a more shame is a, you know, to the American mentality, people don't. But but in your culture, shame, family shame. Yeah, is a very powerful thing. Absolutely, the family honor goes before all things. And so, so that threw you into a deeper depression. Oh yeah, I mean to think about it, I. I am the only child. When I went to America, which is an achievement yeah. already in itself, I you're was going to come back as a, a, a shameful defeat. Yeah, yeah, for being a thief. Yeah, yeah. and so it, I can't look at my parents in the eyes. How can my parents look at anyone in the eyes? Yeah, then? yeah, yeah. And so I just realized, like that is. So you only could see at that point in time in that darkness of depression, with that event happening. Yeah. You thought there was only one way out. Yeah, and it, it's the only thing that made sense. If, if which would be suicide. Yeah. You just wanted to take your life. You were so shameful and so. That's really quite a powerful thing for a fourteen-year-old. Yeah. Emotional capacity. So you went and, you could tell on, but you actually went to carry out. Yeah. That I, I did. Well, yeah. Again, tell us a little bit about that so you decided that the only way out would be to take your own life yeah to avoid the shame and failure yeah well if, if it's shameful to live then it's better not to live yeah that was way you thought at that point in time in that darkness because you were already depressed you yeah. were already going through the anxiety of, of the culture shock and all that other stuff and trying yeah. to function and then you've hit a real heavy thing in the very family which right. is the only structure that you've got that's actually yep providing a context for you mm -hmm. to be in the country yeah no so that, at that point you decided you were going to take your life right so i decided that then well the only way it makes sense is suicide mm -hmm. that's the only way it makes sense and so 
it's late at night. We appreciate you telling us about this. It's not easy to talk about these kinds of things, yeah. but that's where the power is because something yeah. happened in this story. Yeah, well, in St. Paul, he says, in my weakness, Christ has made me strong. Yeah. Christ is glorified, yeah. right? Yeah. So praise be to him. So you went down, you had a plan. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I know it was late at night, and I remembered that, well, there's this part in the street where there's this uh, intersection wherein if I, it was at the foot of a hill. And if I lie, and there has no lights, no street lights whatsoever. So if I lie myself on that road, the car coming down would not be able to see me fast enough to break. So that was the idea. And I know I still remember that in the street corner to this day. And so I was like, well, it's only going to make sense. It was late at night. So I got out of the house unnoticed. And I started walking there. I didn't run. I was walking. And I and I was walking my mind thinking that this is, it feels like an execution walk, you know. And I was crying so much. And I was like, well, this is it. Uh, this is how it's going to end. Um, I remember there was the moon was very bright that night. And so, but on my way of walking there, there's just this image that keeps harkening back to me, which is strange, of the prodigal son. Out of the few times I went to church, that's one of the stories I remembered from the gospel. It was the prodigal son. And it's just keep the image of the prodigal son keep coming back and coming back. And I was like, what's going on? But I moved on, but I tried to get that out of my mind. It's just this image of prodigal son. Keep coming You're still back walking out. to your death, yeah. basically, with it. But there's something else, this image that keeps you know pushing itself in on your mind oh yeah yeah and so uh, you get down to the intersection and actually lay down yeah so i got to the intersection i looked at it but then i also look at the moon night and i thought maybe give me a moment give me a minute and so i looked at the moon and i so i sat down on on the road on the uh, uh pave on the pavement next to the spot where i was going to kill myself there so i sat down i looked at the moon and then i started crying even harder, I start weeping bitterly. And then again, the image of the prodigal son came back up again. And now the words really pronounce itself. It's come back to the father, come back to the father. And it's just, and it's just the line of the prodigal son come keeps home. saying, like, come home, come to the father, come home. And I keep one bur And then the words of the prodigal son himself in the story came to me and the words came to my mind. And it's just, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be your son. And for whatever reason, I remember that. And then I remember saying that out loud. I said, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am not worthy to be your son. Again, even more powerfully, it goes, come back to the Father, come back to the Father, come back to the Father. And so I remember looking on the moon and I said, God, if you are real, if you're there and if you're listening, Deliver me from this trouble, and I will give my whole life to you. I will, and I'm that desperate now. And thinking back, it was one of those stories, and you see that in old music where you say, the person gets to the end of the road, gets to the crossroad, makes yeah. a deal with the devil. I, well, I made a deal, but with God this time. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, if you deliver me from this trouble, I will give my whole life to you. And as soon as I said that, there was an overwhelming peace that just raptures oh yeah it's called a peace that passes or transcends understanding yeah where did this this it's like a supernatural yeah. endowment 
of peace. And it's so odd because at that time as a kid, I have no theology, I have no philosophy, I couldn't possibly have known anything about God. And I, in, even in my prayer, I was doubting whether or not God existed. Or right. Not. But in that moment, I knew exactly that Christ was there and he was embracing me. I knew exactly at that time. So you got up on your feet yeah. and returned yeah. back to the house. Yeah. And, and then all that night, you were in this state of peace and prayer and joy and yeah. Sounds like a conversion to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read Augustine, and it, it, is, it does have a lot of similarities. But, yeah, no, it was, I, I knew it was him. I know it was him. I don't know what else I say. I don't know what else I prayed. I don't know how long did I cry, but I knew it was him. And he was telling me, just go back. Just go back home. And so I said, okay, okay, I'll do what you say. I will see how that goes. And so I stood up and went back home, went back to that house. The next morning, as I'm packing my bags and I'm getting ready to go, there was a knock on the door. There was a family that opened it, the family that was behind that door. And this man, and the family said, said to the couple, I said, um, we heard news. I think it was from my cousin because my cousin heard that I was doing, that I committed something, that I had some trouble, gone to trouble. And they were a family that knew my cousin. And they said, we heard news that, you're having a kid and he's having and he's getting himself into some trouble. Um, I know you want him out of the house. We'll take him in. Wow. Absolutely out of nowhere. First thing in the morning, oh, yeah? this family comes to the door and says, we'll take him some in. Some more supernatural orchestration because people could call this serendipity or coincidental, yeah. but it's too specifically orchestrated no. for there not to be a governing yeah. something going on. Because that's, that's that precise. So you're... You go from this incredible failure, incredible shame, looking like the only way out is suicide, yep. to something happening to you on that street, mm -hmm. the peace that floods your heart. Yep. Then you come home and you're packing your bags because you have to. And at that moment, just in that specific moment, this yeah. is way beyond coincidental serendipity. Yeah, stuff. No. This is orchestration of God. Yeah, no, that man, his name was Henry Munson. Yeah. And. Mr. Munson, he walked into that. He walked and knocked on that door with with absolute intention that he wants me. He wants to take me. Yeah. In. And so I, I will be grateful and that, for him. The so rest from of my that days. point, so you went to stay with him. Yep. And I'm going to move us along because we're running. We got about ten minutes left in the program. Can All you right. believe that? Doesn't <laughs> time just move yeah. so fast? It's crazy. And so from that point on, I staying with Mr. Munson because um, we could finish the story. We wouldn't really get the story finished. Yeah. But from that time, you began your, your your education and things. other things opened up for you yeah. to eventually you end up uh, at the, at the St. Thomas Aquinas College. Yeah, yeah. You know, and God is making provision for you. And, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, your parents, Vietnam, although they're a little bit better off, they don't have the wherewithal to actually provide this. But God yeah. has been making a way for you. Up to this point. Absolutely. You've been is. in this country for five years now. Yeah. And you, you just went back to Vietnam around Christmas time, right? Yes, For I the did. first time in five years. Yes, I did. And uh, so you're back back in this country now, and you're a sophomore, about to go into your junior year. Yes, yes. You're not sure if it's going to be at St. Thomas Aquinas, or you, you're going to be here for another year? Uh, yeah, I'm going to finish my college. Okay, year. at here. Yeah, yep. you're going to finish the four years. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's your uh, your 
area of study. <laughs> philosophy you, and theology. Philosophy and theology. Yep. And you have this sense as well that um, academia is where God is leading you. Yes, absolutely. That you love knowledge, you love to teach. Yeah. Well, he, again, it was that deal with God. He kept his end of the deal. He delivered me out of the trouble, so i got to give my life to him. Yeah. And the way that he's been calling me to live my life so far has been, he wants me to be a light to others because I was at a time where there was no one was the light to me. No one was there to guide me yeah. except him. Except him. And I want it to be that light to the person, to the person who I could have seen myself being. You know, Andrew, what some of us may understand, but many people don't understand, is that those encounters that you had on that road became uh, they become the very uh, foundational and fundamental. They actually. And now became the, the it's like the precursor of a direction that your life takes. Yeah, that becomes you'll find that as the, the the older you get, the more you go on. That that particular encounter now becomes the the impetus of the of the direction and yeah. the progression of your life. Yeah. Absolutely, because you know something yeah. on a level, on a fundamental spiritual level. Mm -hmm. You encountered God is what happened. Yeah. I know from the depth of my soul he was Christ and raised me. And yeah, yeah. He delivered got... you from that destruction. Yeah. So, you you know, academia is where you feel the Lord is leading you. There's mm -hmm. some directions that you may be taking. You mm -hmm. don't know exactly how things are going to unfold, but that's the way your journey has gone. God mm -hmm. just keeps opening this way and yeah. it opens that way. Yeah. So let's take a few moments and... Uh, and talk about the uh, uh, Aristotelian first cause thing. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, it's easy to teach people the difference between heroin and fentanyl and <laughs> crack cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But talk about that first cause, the second cause, the third cause, the final cause, of what it takes from Aristotle, which Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. Quickly, just tell us who Thomas Aquinas was. Yeah, so Thomas Aquinas is this 13th century Dominican um, uh, brother and priest. So he was an Italian, and basically um, he was a teacher. He went to Paris to be a professor of theology, and his, he, he has an incredible amount of writing. And throughout time, his writing and his philosophy have gained such a stronghold, and the, especially the Catholic Church realized, that, like, oh my gosh, this guy, this guy has a, such a great grasp on the faith. He is known in in all of the circles as the apostle of scholastic Christianity. Yep, absolutely. The apostle of scholastic Christianity. Yep. He brought in a, a theology based upon the foundation of Aristotle, yep. mostly. Yep. He baptizes Aristotle and says, "Faith, the faith of the, the the true Christian, the faith of the Christian, is compatible and can baptize and can give light." to all of the philosophical works that the Greeks have done. Right, right, right. To bring it in, uh, and Christ into it scholastically. Yep, absolutely. So when you talk about the Aristotelian, uh, you know, the way to the good, mm -hmm. tell us about that a little bit. See, okay, so... this will, Put your teaching hat on now, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Professor. <laughs> so, uh, uh, okay, let's see how about this. Uh, I remember the conversation I had with you. I was going through the four causes that yeah. Aristotle lays out. And... Aristotle says um, there are four causes that you can attribute to the two things, especially in nature. You, there is the um, formal cause, material cause, um, formal cause, material cause, efficient cause, and final cause. So let's take an example, a wooden chair, right? right? We have a wooden chair. 
we're going to say it's very easy. We can say the material cause of that wooden chair would be the wood, it would be the timber, the stuff that the chair is made out of. And then we're going to say, well, the formal cause, the, the thing that gave form to that chair, then submit, you could discern that it's a chair. So it's the form of a chair. It right. has the shape of it. It has the looks of it. It has the but functions. The but the first it. cause is somebody saw it before. Oh, yeah. And that's where I get it to. So the efficient cause. The efficient okay. cause is the artist, okay. the one who made that cause. Now, funny enough, the final one, the final cause, though it's called the final cause because um, it's going to be the last to be realized uh, at the end of it, but it's the one that has to exist first. So the final cause is the purpose. Right. The chair has a purpose. When the artist makes a chair, he has to have thought of conceived a chair in his mind right. and have conceived a purpose for that chair. So the final cause is the first one to exist, but the, the last one to be realized because when the chair is made and it's good, when we say something is good, it's actually that it has fulfilled its purpose. Because you can sit in it. Yeah, you could sit in it. it then now, it's, it's, now it's good because it's, it, 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 it's actually performing the mm -hmm. function that a person saw it, yep. then they gathered the material, the yep. wood, yep. then they formed the wood into yep. the thing that they saw, yep. but it's only good yeah. when you actually sit in it. Yep. And this is the foundation of Aristotelian phys physical philosophy, and he says, every single thing in nature has is with a purpose, right. has been created with a purpose. purpose. Teleology. Yes. And so the jump, so, we say that a plant has been there and it has a purpose for its, for its existence. A plant is there, there's a purpose of existence. An animal exists, there's a purpose of existence. How much more do we say that there is a purpose of existence in man? Well, that brings us to the, these four causes that you talk about. Yeah. So long before God spoke, he thought. Yeah. So he had his thought was that in his created world, that man mm -hmm. would be in his image and his likeness. Oh, yeah. So then he creates the substance mm -hmm. that he's going to form the man out of. Yep. Then he breathes the very breath of life in, mm -hmm. into man, mm -hmm. which is his essence, which makes man different than any of the other created sure. things. Sure, yeah. Because when in Genesis you go through, he goes, he creates this, he said, that's good. Mm -hmm. So that means that's functioning, that's that's performing its purpose. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, that's good. Yep. When he gets to man, he said, that's very, very good. good. So that's how you get to the good. Yep. So God saw it. Mm -hmm. Then he got the material, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then he got the efficient. Yep. He is, that, is the efficient. He put the form, the material together. Yeah, he forms man in his own image and his likeness. Yep. Then he breathes the substance of his being into man. Mm-hmm. Because he intends man to be in his image and his likeness and to represent him yep. in the material world, mm -hmm. the physical world. Yeah. And when that happened, he said, now this is very, very good. good. So that's how you get to the good, right? Yep, yep absolutely. Wow. Okay, well, let's just get a couple of minutes. So why don't you just uh, share any kind of thoughts you want to have in these last couple of minutes with us? You know, something that, you know, you want to talk about or, you know, whatever. Oh gosh, uh, I mean, I mean, there's not much to have. Um, when I say that I want to be, <laughs> I want to be the light to the world. Um, it's something that, when I say that, I meant um, there is there. I see so many people in the darkness nowadays. Yeah. In now in nowadays time. Oh yeah. And we got people. We got people who got string on substance abuse. We got people in bad situations. But most of all, I see that there's people that 
they, there isn't a guiding light for them. Yeah. And not just in a uh, not just in the academic sense, in the spiritual sense, yeah. in the person to be there, provide good fellowship, and being a good friend, a good guide to them to God. I feel like that's where I'm called. Yeah. And I say, well, I'm feel a call to academia. It's like, well, yes, but it, I want to also be in ministry. I want to be there as a guiding light to people to guide them. It's like, hey, I want to show you that all philosophy and all theology points back to God. Yeah. Hey, I want to show you all the goodness that there is of this world. It all points back for to God for you. Yeah. That's why who I want to be. Yeah. And that's what I want to become. And so, yeah, it, it's just this calling that gets into me. It's it, well, and that happened on that street. Yeah. In, in uh, was it Texarkana? Yeah, Texarkana. Yeah. I know Texarkana. Been there. Yeah. So you're on a street in Texarkana, and God encounters you in the midst of the most um, significant crisis that your humanity had ever reached, because yeah. you literally were on the cusp of taking your life yeah. because of shame, right, and because of failure, right, and not wanting to bring that upon your family. Mm -hmm. And there, your father from heaven <laughs> met you. Yeah. And that creates a very fundamental, it's a knowing. Mm -hmm. Jesus asked, he said, who do people say that I am? And they mm -hmm. said, well, some say you're that. And, mm -hmm. You know, the, the theologians say you're that. And my yeah. parents say you're that. And somebody <laughs> says, well, maybe, so, you know, John the Baptist come back from the dead. <laughs> then he says, but who do you say that I am? So you know who he is. Oh, thanks be you, to God. Because you met him. Yep. And that's a great testimony. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I just pray, and I know, I just already can feel it, that uh, <laughs> many people are going to be blessed by your, your story. Thank God for Thomas Aquinas College coming to Northfield, and you ended up here. And yes, sir. we meeting on Little Round Top up there and uh, have, have uh, struck up a friendship yeah. and a brotherhood. So Praise I appreciate Jesus it. All right, this is River Streams. I'm Steve Chase. And uh, thanks again for joining us. And our prayer is, is that God would take this testimony and use it to strengthen and encourage and to get people to that point of saying, you know what, if God did that for him, and he's no respect to a person, yeah. then he could do it for me as well. In whatever crisis, in whatever heartache or sorrow, and people have a lot of struggles. People are going through breaks up of marriages and just all kinds of addictions and like you talking about and, right. and you know this this is the kind of thing that god uses it's the word of our testimony yeah. it's the blood of jesus christ that's washed us yeah. and the word of our testimony that gives that overcoming power to touch other people's lives as well Amen. so thanks a lot for joining us today brother all right we're out of here bye-bye thanks for joining us <laughs>